This is exactly right. Forgive me for interrupting. I'm Bridger Weiniger, host of I Said No Gifts on Exactly Right. Each week, I invite my favorite people in comedy over to chat, and they always bring a gift. We're coming up on our 200th episode, and every episode is a gem. I have welcomed all kinds of great guests, including Cola Scola, Bowen Yang, Robbie Hoffman. It goes on and on and on. And you don't want to miss the 200th episode with the great Maria Bamford. What does she bring me? Find out April 25th. New episodes every Thursday. Follow I Said No Gifts wherever you get your podcasts. So I wanted to use story to change the meaning of that title and to change the meaning of that reality and that observation into something that the next time exhausted came up or the next time someone would feel that or think that, it would actually be a reminder that you're not here just to survive. You're here to thrive. And what does that look like for you? Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place, one parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for parents to seek the same in their own lives while striving to be the best versions of themselves each day. No matter who you are or where you came from, with increased awareness, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children, your family, and all those you care about while living your own life to the fullest. Today's show is Black Girls Must Die Exhausted, embracing the complexity of life and love with our amazing guest, Jane Allen. Jane, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm going to tell everyone a little bit more about you because there's a lot to tell. So Jane is most widely known as a fiction author, under the pen name Jane Allen, having authored Black Girls Must Die Exhausted, which we're going to talk about, Black Girls Must Be Magic, and a forthcoming third title published by the Harper Perennial imprint of HarperCollins Books. Stay tuned. Okay, now, Jane is also Janique Seeley. Janique has a broad range of experience in business and brand architecture, digital strategy, marketing, and product innovation. She's a graduate of Duke University Pratt School of Engineering and Harvard Law School. Her professional career began as a music attorney and in the entertainment industry executive, followed by a period of senior digital strategist and business development executive for Lady Gaga, yes, Lady Gaga, assisting with the platinum album release Born This Way and executive producing the Gaga's Workshop Digital Experience in Barney's New York that won so many music awards. She's also worked with the artist formerly known as Prince, who we all miss, and she has done so much more. Um, Jane, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited for this conversation. So I, um, I loved your book. Um, I did, as you wrote uh, in the beginning of the book, become a co- very acquainted and friendly with many of your characters. And we're going to talk about that. But I just want to say I was on the ride. I was so on the journey to the very end. It. And oh, so, that's so great. Yeah, it was, it, it was riveting. We're going to talk about Tabby and her friends. Um, also known as number two. Before we go there, tell us a little bit about like where you came from, your upbringing, and you know how you your earlier your formative years. 
Well, I'm originally from Michigan, so I'm a Midwestern girl. I grew up, I was born in Detroit, grew up in Detroit, um, and I'm an only child, so that might be, <laughs> so I did a lot of reading, and mm-hmm. I, I found a lot of adventure and uh, life lessons in books, and I always believed that uh, people put the best parts of themselves in books, so mm-hmm. uh, even as a little girl. And, uh, and I, and I was just a voracious reader and I guess, you know, quite talkative. And I spent a lot of time around adults and with my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, she she didn't live with us, but we were really close. She lived very close by. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so that was a lot of my social life as (laughs) as a young child Mm -hmm. and, uh, and just, you know, I was very academic and, Mm -hmm. uh, and kind of did the what I was supposed to thought I was supposed to do academically mm-hmm. and kind of kept in the in the you know between 10 and 2 on on the clock in terms of um, not really venturing out you know too wildly or creatively until I got a little bit older mm-hmm. so uh so I you know I was probably you would you would if you met me when I was a kid you'd probably think oh you know she she's chatty or you know she she seems like a nice girl but i don't know if i would you know necessarily stand out <laughs> you, were, you were following the rules you were kind of following I was the rules definitely yeah. following the rules even in retrospect i was like wow i didn't even really drink when i was in like i didn't yeah. do anything that was particularly yeah. bad i could tell my mom that to her face now at yeah. 43 like no i yeah. think i i actually was was a good kid so that's that's how i was yeah. growing up what so what what were your hopes and dreams back then because at 43 you have done so much and <laughs> um there is so much more you clearly are going to be doing so i was just w- thinking like that little girl right that little girl reading books like what did you want to be i i think i, I, I there were so many things there was one point where i wanted to be an astronaut and there's a whole there was an article about it in the local newspaper because mm. i went to space camp uh, but I wanted, there was a one point I wanted to be a singer. Uh, mm-hmm. there was one point where I wanted to have a talk show. Uh, so I think I always wanted to express mm-hmm. and communicate with people through, you know, creatively. And it took me a very long time to figure out my road to do that because I was definitely tracked in this conventional traditional yeah. Yeah. path. Yeah. So I had to unlearn that over yeah. time. Well, it's, I mean, you were clearly, well, a few things that I got from um, preparing for this is, um, I mean, obviously you're very bright. You're very good at school. You also have this full package because, you know, engineering to law <laughs> to music to writing, I mean, basically to creativity and brand consulting and beyond i i could see the metamorphosis um and what is that process like for you from from stepping out of the line and you know doing it your way yes well i think that it there i can tell you exactly when that happened Mm. I, i now in retrospect uh when i was in law school so i was definitely doing the conventional thing and what I thought needed to be done or, or what should be done conventionally. And I, uh, I it was my first year of law school, maybe my second year of law school. I can't quite remember. 
And, you know, 9-11 happened in my, was it my second year of law school. Mm-hmm. And that when you have one of those traumatic events in life, it makes you start mm-hmm. to think about life yeah. and, and really look at it and examine, am I doing what I should be doing with this time that I have? And so that triggered that for me. That was the mm-hmm. first question. The second thing that happened was that I wound up getting an, a permanent offer after the summer of following my first year, which was unusual for mm-hmm. at a law firm. But then at that point, the rest of my life, if I followed that track, was already set. I could know at 23 years old exactly what the rest of my life would look like. I would go to this firm for eight years. I'd be an associate. I'd work my butt off and have no life. And then I would be a partner and then I'd be rich, but I would be too busy to spend my money. That was was what my life would look like. And I didn't like that. I didn't like being able to look ahead. I didn't like being able, you know, yes, the thing that you're supposed to, you know, everybody wants that financial security, that thing was guaranteed for me at that point, but I didn't like what the rest of it looked like. Hmm. And so at 23, I was able to kind of see ahead and internalize and get some perspective. And so I sat, I remember sitting on my sofa one day and just asking myself, if that's not going to make you happy, what will? And I just started imagining. And at that moment, what I wanted was to work at a a record label, but not a big one, a smaller one, and not in New York, not in LA. I wanted to be in DC. I just made this up in my mind. There'd be a recording studio and I'd be around musicians. And I just had this whole fantasy in my mind. So fast forward about three weeks from that, I go to this panel uh, as like a music industry panel. A bunch of people came in to speak. One guy's in the panel talking about his record company. It's like a startup company that just got funded in DC that has a record studio and a recording studio in the office. And all of this stuff that I start hearing back what my imagination had like conceived of on my sofa. And so I went, that was my first moment where I was like, wait, I can, my dreams can come true. Like I can live my dreams out. But I had to go talk to him. And I said, you know, hey, would you ever hire somebody fresh out of law school? And he was like, no way. And I was like, okay, yeah. well, well, would you hire somebody who would work for free? You know, I was just yeah. grasping. He was like, well, let's just talk. We'll stay in touch. And so I wound up spending a year interning for him that second summer because I told you I had the job offer. Yeah. I was able to split my summer. So I had to go back to my firm for half the summer. And I spent half the summer at this record label working for free. By the end of the time, that second half of the summer at the record company, I had to go back to school. I was like, what are you guys going to do? I have to go back. I had made a place for myself. And mm-hmm. they said, well, look, would you consider still working for us and we can figure it out? So we negotiated that I would work there my third year as an employee. They'd pay for my travel back and forth. They'd pay me a salary. And they made me a permanent offer to join uh, after law school. So all of that wow. came kind of full circle. And that was my first experience with crafting my life and really realizing I could step off the path yeah. and, and start to live what, you know, even questioning what fulfillment looked like and that I could live that out. So that's you, where it started. You manifested <laughs> that whole thing. That is what happened. Yeah, that, yes. I, I, that is exactly what happened. Everyone, it is possible. Like it literally, like if you can imagine what your desired life is and really think it and believe it, things do happen. 
That that's they just do. awesome. Yeah. Was but you know the one thing I say when I tell this story is that I did have to do something. I and I had to. I was scared out of my wits to be honest to go talk mm-hmm. to him because that was not like me. Mm-hmm. And and just and then when he told me no. You know, it, it wasn't just there laid out in front of me. I had to get past my own internal obstacles. And so when he told me no, you know, with somebody that's kind of conventional and follows the rules, no is like, oh, well, that's that's a stopping point. But for whatever reason, because I had mm-hmm. seen it before in my mind and I, I, I knew yeah. that was what I wanted, yeah. I just scrambled to find a way past no in that moment, which yeah. ultimately wound up getting me past no, you know, right. so right. Um, yeah, so it, there is something to it, and you know, I I've had to develop my relationship with no over mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. and that's been an evolving journey. And I think you know, for all people, it probably is is there's somewhere on that journey as well. Yes, yes, and um, I, that reminds me, I didn't mention and want to mention because it's so appropriate. Um, I mean, we're going to be talking about your fiction work, but you have these nonfiction books with very much relate to these topics. So I just want to mention um, to everyone um, the titles, which are Regroup, The How-To of Never Giving Up, right? This applies. You Uh, went deep in the crates. Yes, I did. (laughs) Piece of the Fame, Rockstar Social Media Marketing Strategy for Everyone to Ignite Your Business, Career, and Personal Brand, right? So... um, You've done, you share a lot of your own experiences um, in those works in your consulting part of your life with um, how people not to say no, how to battle perfectionism, right? How to like yes. um, take all this on as uh, like badges of courage. Yes. Yes. The, my nonfiction. So what I was doing was, and I didn't realize it, I just was following you know, kind of what I felt was an important thing to do. And honestly, my life has been incredible. I'm so grateful for the experiences I've gotten to live and the lessons I've, I've been able to learn. So my way of giving back in the middle, you know, between a one project to the next, I'd have mm-hmm. maybe a month of downtime. And so I'd write a book to encapsulate whatever the most important lesson was that I thought I learned of that path, that experience. With Lady Gaga in that time, personal branding, social media. And this was back in like 2012. And I was like, this is going to be a big deal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, So I put the the best of what I'd learned in that experience into that book and then move forward. And from the uh, starting companies and, and architecting brand strategy, you know, entrepreneurial strategy and doing sort of this uh, startup, you know, right. uh, company space, being in that space, the number one a lesson that I learned was the lesson of resilience. And I learned that it's a skill. It is a, it's a skill that we don't teach and that we don't really spend a lot of time on, but I tried to encapsulate that uh, concept of resilience as a skill and also developing that relationship with no and how to move forward into what you really, really want. Because to me, aside from branding and using social media, which has been an incredible society shifter, mm-hmm. resilience as a skill and as a tool has been one of the things that has really allowed me to live out what has been my path to fulfillment. So yeah. I, I, put yeah. the, I put the best of myself in books along the way. It's so resiliency. Um, you know, we often talk about resiliency as the, as the cornerstone of, um, 
well, I want to say love, which we'll be talking about, is the cornerstone yes. of humanity. Resiliency, like if one can be resilient, you can get through anything. You can get yes. through all the tough stuff, all the curveballs, right? I mean, it all comes down to this, this, well, you know, but I'm not going to define it. I'd like you to define it. What would you, how would you define what resiliency is? I believe it is a process of acceptance and learning and unfettered belief. And those are the three ingredients. Mm. So accepting whatever happened, you know, and making your attempt, you know, mm -hmm. so, and then accepting whatever happened, learning the lessons, and then reconnecting to what your original goal was with a, a belief that you move forward. And it's just an iterative process. And so mm -hmm. that's, that's what I believe resilience, you know, having resiliency is and I think it's and I do think it's a skill, and and the more that I spend time around entrepreneurs, uh, the more you know I, I speak to people who kind of are living these fearless lives. I hear the same thing over and over to the point where I see it as a pattern, and I'm like, you know, this they're, we don't speak of it as a skill, but this these people have developed a skill. Yes, yes, and um, so you just triggered something to me in um, your book. There's some great stuff that you say in the beginning with a, a note to the reader. And one of the things that I highlighted, which so applies, is you say, quote, if you understand that every day is a great triumph, a victory over all of the forces that would try to tear you down, then you understand how very important it is to celebrate everything that gives us the courage to keep daring for our greatest selves. Yes. Yes, that's in the my note to to reader for yeah. Black Girls Must Die Exhausted. I thought that was really important to say and contextualize um, the adventure, the, the the journey of the book, yeah. and, and you know what we could learn from from uh, our protagonist Tabitha. So yeah, and and, um, well, and it's resilience, right? Yes. I mean, that is a story of resilience. Um, so let's start moving in that in this direction. So. The process of creating this book. So I'd like to know the process for you of creating this first piece of fiction for you, where you took on yes. so many different issues. And then also, I'm so curious about the title and how many iterations it had, because the, the ending title is like, that just punches you right in the face. And you're like, let's go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, the, the process of of coming up with this book. So this was my first foray into fiction. I had never written fiction. I think a lot of times thinking about writing a novel, there's a lot of imposter syndrome and thinking, oh, am I uh, an author in this way? Can I do this? Am I, you, you think of it, and I guess if you're maybe not everybody, but I think of it as like, as it's anointing mm -hmm. <laughs> people that craft novels, there must be some kind of magic fairy dust that got sprinkled on them as a kid or something. And then they write this novel. So I was believing that, but the concept felt so strong for me that I was able to push back against it. And the way that the idea came to me was in 2016, we were in this you know, very divisive political environment. But mm -hmm. as a woman, it was this objectively big moment where it was like, maybe we're going to have the first woman president, you know, and just thinking about you know, the societal 
constraints or not of being mm-hmm. a woman, having the experience of, of womanhood in society. And I was thinking about that and also thinking about what it was the layer of experience of, of being a black woman in society, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, from a human perspective, like what is the human effect of this? And on, for me, it was exhausting. I felt right. exhausted. Yeah. And it was just so much. It was like, I don't feel safe. I don't feel seen. I don't feel protected. You know, and I'm showing up every day, suited up to play, you mm-hmm. know, and I'm doing my best. And why don't I have this? And mm-hmm. and how does it make me feel? It makes me feel exhausted. And I thought, wow, if I feel this way, I know a lot of other people, other women, other Black women, non-Black women, non-black people, men have to feel some, some piece of this on the spectrum of this. Mm -hmm. And I want to address it. And I think it's important to address as a black woman, because there's a perspective that anybody can learn from. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to acknowledge it from the various layers that I'm living in this human experience. And the weight of it can, can maybe amplify uh, the experience, this experience, and and show something to everybody that we can learn from. So if I can mm-hmm. unpack this, if I can amplify this and and make it seen, and 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 go on a journey with this, then it's something we can all learn from. Mm-hmm. So that was what I tasked myself with. I wanted to tell a, a, a human story, get to the very human story of what this experience was for this character, uh, and and the center a, a black female protagonist who could see things from the perspective that that I was seeing things from. So that was how the idea came about and the title we started with this word exhausted when I was thinking about the title I wanted it to be something that just felt like you'd heard it before even if you hadn't because I was making mm. it up but yeah. I wanted this like iconic title that just stood in a in a for a truth that then I could change the meaning of. So it was this acknowledgement of this exhaustion. It was exhausting. Yeah. yeah. But, and and the contextualization, like I was telling you before with that story, contextualization of life with perspective. Mm-hmm. So it's not about death, but, but death gives us this context. The fact that life is finite, it makes you think, like I was telling, giving the example of 9-11, it's a moment that makes you think, wait, I what am I going to do with this time? This time is valuable. It's yeah. not fine. It's not infinite. It's valuable. Right. And right. what am I doing with it? So the the title came from that, that we're going to contextualize life from the perspective of how do we make this valuable? And the die-exhausted part the, and the exhausted part, yeah. how do I change the meaning of this to turn this into uh, going from a place of survival to thriving, mm-hmm. you know, how do I, and so I wanted to use story to yeah. change the meaning of that title and to change the meaning of that reality and that observation into something that the next time exhausted came up or the next time someone would feel that or think that it would actually be a reminder that you're not here just to survive. You're here to thrive. And what does yeah. that look like for you? Yeah. Yeah. That, um, and I got that. I mean, I got that when I, uh, the title to me, it also made me think about things as I was reading with the frame of exhaustion of the characters, the various characters. Um, 
and each of their different stories and all of the different levels of exhaustion in being them and all of the forces that they were, you know, their past, their present, um, and the challenges they went through. And I also was thinking, I was thinking of this title in my head. It's like, um, why women die exhausted and black women die more exhausted, right? Because you talk about the layer of, you know, obviously the layer of race. And I want the, the scene with, um, when Tabby, Tabitha gets pulled over on her way to the news station and the way you described that level of fear, um, Mm -hmm. I mean, my heart, my, my heart was racing and, um, I was experiencing so many different emotions and then the interaction with the officer and how you position the officer. I mean, like you captured so much of what has been going on for a long time and just Mm -hmm. more in the news lately. Yeah. I thought that was important. And that was a, a scene for me as a writer where, it it really means a lot to me to hear you say that that you could connect emotionally because I wanted, I think we live in this fallacy that we can't connect to each other. We can't relate to each other's experiences because we don't, haven't been living the same experience. No, like we are human beings. We, pain feels like pain, pain to me feels like pain to you. You know, it it does, even though we we seem different, we're not at the core. We're not fear to me feels like fear to you. You know, it, it, it's, that is the same thing, even if something different st- causes it, it's mm-hmm. still the same feeling. And I think to just be able to connect from a human perspective and bring the humanity into that, the feeling is fear. You know, the feeling is, um, and there's a, 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 I have a friend, she is a, a fellow writer. She's not American. She's not black. Uh, she's a, a white woman that lives in Germany at the German French border. First language mm-hmm. is French mm-hmm. and, uh, and she's married to a woman. Mm-hmm. And so she is a writer friend of mine. And I sent her that first chapter when I was first writing this novel and I didn't know, um, I was like, can I write? Mm-hmm. <laughs> is this mm-hmm. any good? What does this mean to you? I have no idea. So I sent it to her as a like, hey, Can you let me know what you think of this? I didn't contextualize. It, I just sent it. And she, she got back to me a couple of days later and she said, Oh my gosh, is this how black people feel in America? And I was like, well, I can't speak for all black people, but tell me what you mean. What are you referencing? What came up? And she's like, well, I obviously don't have direct experience, but I'll tell you what it recalled for me and what I was feeling into. She said, as a woman with her wife, if they're out walking on the street, they decide in any way to evidence their relationship. They hold hands. They show any sign of affection. They know they've internalized that they are now at risk for some kind of, of some form of maybe being accosted. And from a direction they don't know of mm-hmm. and in an undeserved way. And they have to, they have to walk knowing that and not, and, and anticipating that and being in that space. And that is what she referenced as the connection point into what Tabitha was feeling and experiencing in that first chapter. And I was like, yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes, it's there. And that moment of just, I mean, it couldn't be more different experience wise, couldn't be dip more, you know, but, it, but yes. And, and yes, that human connection. Yes. We're speaking the same vocabulary. Yes. Let's, mm-hmm. let's talk from that space. Let's talk from the space of 
what it feels like. Mm-hmm. And so that there was that it was so magical to hear that back. And it just let me know if I do this right, if I, you know, this, this can connect people mm-hmm. in unexpected ways. So yeah. that was, that kind of set the tone for me. You, you I mean, you write about, um, you write about women in the workplace, you write about race, you write about infertility, you write about yes. complex relationships and love, you write about mental health. So much is in there in a story, um, a journey yes. with these characters. And I've, I've never written, I've only written um, nonfiction. So I, and I know in my work, I draw on my own experiences um, quite a bit. And so I, I'm just wondering for you, like how much, how much of you is, you know, in pieces of, you know, like what was your process of creating these characters in the story? Like what part is you, what part is, you know, others? Yeah. If that's a fair question. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of wanted to do something different when Mm -hmm. I was writing this and there's a lot of issues because I wanted to do something. I wanted to use fiction in a different way. I wanted Mm -hmm. to use fiction to create like life parallel scenarios, but push the characters further than most people would go mm-hmm. and then see what happens on the other side. So the only yep. other place we kind of get that is maybe reality TV where, you know, people are cast for certain personality quirks and then the producers yep. create scenarios that then, you know, play out and it's unscripted because who could have scripted that? Who would have right. known, you know, right. known that was going to happen? Right. Um, and so that was kind of how I went to write. I was like, well, let me really, really focus on crafting these characters as textured and as humanely and as humanly as I can mm-hmm. and and give a, a motivation and a backstory and, and a real true understanding of who these people are and craft mm-hmm. them as, as close to people as I could. Yeah. And then put them in scenarios and push them past the boundaries of where most people would go and then see what happens and, and mm-hmm. how it plays out. So that was what was really fun for me to write because I didn't know what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. I, I just, you know, kind of cast these characters, crafted these characters. So for me, it was two important things in, in, in character crafting or casting was that I wanted to make sure that they were, they had the texture of, of real people. And so what part of me comes into it is that I'm an observer, you know, I'm a listener. Mm -hmm. I will listen. I'm the person that if I'm on a plane, my neighbor, my seat neighbor, you know, by the end of the flight, i know their whole life story. (laughs) You know, I don't put my headphones on, even if I do put my headphones on for whatever reason, they're still going to talk to me. So I'm just going to listen. And I realized that that is part of my role in life. Maybe, you know, maybe my part of my, my role is to be the observer. And then as an artist to give that back in a way that connects us more to each other and to our experience of life. Mm -hmm. So So that was what I tried to bring into crafting these characters. They're all made up. There's not, nobody's you know made up the archetype of another person that exists. Yep. I made all of these people up, but I did sew in fragments of, of people I've met or what I've come to understand about people and, yeah. and motivation and, and humanity so that they would feel real and they, they would be real or, you know, as real as I could make it as these scenarios played out and these conversations happened. And, you know, with Tabitha, 
I felt like it was important to show this things that we don't normally see. And, and I went through my own journey through uh, infertility and, and IVF and egg freezing and all of that. Mm-hmm. And I could not find hardly anything about this journey. And in fiction, mm-hmm. virtually nothing. And it's so important to see stories in fiction because it allows us to see things played out that maybe haven't played out yet in life, but we can still learn from them. We can still gain courage from them. So yeah. I thought, you know, let me do this for Tabitha because, and also she's a very conventional person. So mm-hmm. I had to throw the kitchen sink at her to get yeah. her off the conventional path. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you, I'm, like you I'm, did. So you did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Cause I like you. Yeah. I really like her, but I was like, as a writer, my job is to get you yeah. off the path. So I really had to throw huh. a lot at her and a lot at these characters to kind of break past the walls of convention and and get to the vulnerable human part and get to the human story. So wow. yeah, that's, that's where it came from. That's such an interesting process to to think about it that way. As 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 so as I've gotten to got to know the characters and Tabitha and yeah, you threw a lot at her and she had to dig deep and she perseveres and she loses it and she comes back around like you know right. she does all that human stuff. And it's like to, to think about you creating this in a way where it is almost like a reality TV show. And you're like, okay, Tabitha's going to walk into this place and now this is going to happen. And let's see what she does. Yes. And, and then that's you're like, that's right. And then you're creating how she, what she does. Wow. Yes. Yes. Uh. Yeah. So it made it fun for me to write because I didn't know exactly what was going to happen. I just kind of set the scenes. I set them in place. I set, I knew the, the characters, they have their own conflicts with each other. And so yeah. for me writing it, I almost felt like a fly on the wall, kind of like, okay, how is this going to play out? Because the characters were so formed in my mind mm-hmm. as people. And yeah. for me as a writer, I, my goal would be, I guess, for a reader, if you happen to just walk into a room and one of my characters was there, I would want the reader to know who that person was. That's Mm. how I, that's the standard I was setting for character development. Yeah. Wow. That's that. Yeah. That's cool. (laughs) I'm not thinking back of all the scenes. Um, (laughs) You also, I mean, you you took all these on, I want to say like, I felt like hard stuff in a really respectful way. Um, And really just talked about the, I mean, the complexity of it. I mean, interracial relationships and marriages and um, intergenerational relationships that were interracial and just the complexity of being kin and not seeing color because of that's your kin. And then the backdrop of how the world sees you and trying to make sense of those. I mean, the relationship with... um, Tabitha and her grandmother, which is why she's number two, was like, I mean, so beautiful. I wanted to show, again, the human impact of these societal creations that we've made that make us believe that we're so different from each other. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really important in this Mm -hmm. time, especially as we're trying to find our way back to each other because of, you know, there's been so much divisiveness and there still is Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. ideologically there's divisiveness and, you know, all of these ways that we are starting to believe that we're so different, but we're not. And, mm-hmm. and I think we're just in this space and time where we want so badly to be reconnected and to find our ways back to each other. And so, you know, here's this space of this family and, you know, Tabby's grandmother's white, 
and Tavi is Black, but that's not relevant in their relationship other than how they've experienced these societal you know, definitions and, and, and societal experiences that have happened to them in various ways. And so Tabby's grandmother has intersected with the experience of race differently because she has a black son and as a, you know, white mother and, and, you know, her family had a different view of, of her relationship that ultimately resulted in, in Tabby's father um, being conceived. And, you know, there, there's so much history there. And, but, but even, I think the complexity is really very simple once Mm -hmm. you start looking at it from a human perspective. And then you just mm-hmm. ask, what's the human impact? What's Tabby's grandmother feeling? And what is this, what does this do for her? What does this teach mm-hmm. her? What does mm-hmm. this make her, what questions does it make her ask? Yeah. And, and what does love give you the courage to do and say? Yes. yes. And so that was what, um, that was kind of how I went into the interactions with Tabby and her grandmother and, and examining all of these issues, which, you know, it, does, it, it seems like there are a lot of issues and it seems like they're complex, but ultimately from the human experience standpoint, you're just going back to that. What is it? What right. questions does it cause you to ask? What lessons does it teach you? And what does love give you the courage to do? And that's exactly what it was. I mean, the courage, the love is what allowed them to ask each other the tough questions and really sit there and be in those questions and answers for each other. Yes. Um, also in the note to the reader, I just there were just a few things that impacted me, and I want to read this too, relates to what you just said. Uh, when you strip away the divides, barriers, categories, and all of the various ways we've learned to separate ourselves one from another, at our foundation, love is the language that we speak and the very lifeblood of our existence. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Pause. Are you surprised by the impact that this book has had? I am surprised in every conversation to see how it is personalized by a reader. It, and, and that was the thing that really I I. I knew, but I didn't know. I didn't understand how personal a book experience can become and, and mm-hmm. what it can, it becomes something completely different in the mind or experience of each person. So I'm constantly surprised because it's such a collaboration with, between me and the reader. I, I put this in motion, the words are on the page, but ultimately it's not, it doesn't become three-dimensional until it's, absorbed and experienced by a reader. So to hear it back, it has mm-hmm. never been the exact same thing. And I've talked to many, many readers at this point, mm-hmm. and I'm always surprised at how it becomes personalized and what the story becomes with mm-hmm. each person that experiences it. And so I hope to always have that delight and to always you know, have that, that next level that teaches me something. Mm-hmm. So I, I hope that it could be impactful because as I was saying, I try to put the best of myself and 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 what I hope for all of us. I'm I'm I'm, I'm rooting for like I said, I'm rooting for each one of my characters, but I'm yeah. actually rooting for each person I meet. I'm rooting for mm-hmm. everybody. And so with this book, you know, this is my me being a cheering section. So I, I hope that it will have positive impact and and that it 
brings something mm -hmm. substantive to people's lives that that come across the book. And it clearly has because there's a whole BGMDE community out yes. there. <laughs> and I mean, just give a few, if you can, I know there's so many people you've talked to, like, what has this book, what have you heard has done for people in terms of you being their cheerleader and, you know, opening up possibility for them and fight for them? Yes. Well, I, so I, I had the opportunity in 2020 to sit with a lot of book clubs and talk to a lot of different yeah. groups of women. And I was surprised at uh, what the different things that were that came up in conversation. For some people, it was like the first time that they were able, were able to talk about their infertility journeys and their mm -hmm. journeys through reproductive health, which to me was astonishing because it is such, it impacts so many women so many people mm -hmm. and it's not discussed. It's sort of something that happens in, in the shadows and it's so important to have information and support and because it's a, it's a journey that is impacted by knowledge and mm -hmm. time. You know, these are all things are so relevant. So to, to know that there are so many people that didn't have community before and just to hear in, in these spaces that it's just opening up that conversation that has been incredible uh, to hear people have a, a vocabulary to talk and to connect about race and to just talk about what does it feel like and not, you know, it's, it's so triggering. And so, but we do need a space to talk about it and, and we do need a space to be able to support each other and, and to understand what does that look like? And, mm -hmm. you know, everybody doesn't have the bandwidth to talk about it, to be emotionally available in that way or, or to do, you know, what we call the emotional labor of it. But I wanted a book that could, could do that where, you know, maybe, it, you know, somebody can't talk about it, but they can say, here, read this, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, you know, and, and from one person to another, and it has been very much word of mouth, uh, community building here. So, so those have been some of the, the, uh, and just talking about friendship, just hearing people, you know, talk about, cause, cause everybody's hiding something in the book. These yes. are, it's a yes. very imperfect friendships, but yes. yet they still are sustaining and they still are so valuable and important. So to yeah. be able to hear other people kind of come clean with, you know, the, the, their journeys and, and even through mental health as well, you know, just talking about having a space to, to, to be vulnerable and to, seek community and support about certain things that were kind of people were shouldering on their own. Those yeah. have been some of the most impactful yeah. moments yeah. in conversations I've been a part of. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone, you are not only is uh, Tabitha an awesome protagonist, you are definitely going to want to meet Lexi and Layla. Um, oh yes. <laughs> and Ms. Gretchen. And Ms. Gretchen too. Yes. Let's not forget Ms. Gretchen. <laughs> oh man, Ms. Gretchen. Okay. Um, okay. So, um, in seeing you on Good Morning America, um, one of the hosts talked about how you just beam and how you basically uh -oh. glow and I'm looking at you, other people can't see you and you do, and you, you have oh, this way you. of, um, I can understand why people want to talk to you on the planes, right? I mean, you just have a very openness and exuberance. And like, it makes me want to know, like, what is your, like, what is your life philosophy at this point? Like, how do you, how do you aim to be? I, I aim, there, there are days, it's different, different days, but yeah. I, I aim to be fearless. 
Mm. That's what I'm working on right now. As I think as a artist, my only job is to be fearless. So, you know, whatever I create or produce or write or whatever needs to come from that place of, of fearlessness. And I, and, and life that entails also living life in that way as well. So Mm -hmm. I'm working on that. Uh, I'm working on loving fearlessly Mm. also. And that just, and not just on a, you know, personal relationship basis, but just as I, like I said, I'm rooting, genuinely rooting for everybody that I uh, meet and also for myself, loving myself Mm -hmm. fearlessly, uh, accepting myself, finding authenticity um, and and finding ways to be more authentic and just showing up that way. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that that's you know that that's a long winded answer awesome. I think, but it's no, it's still a work that, in progress. But that that's yes. where I am right now. Being fearless and loving fearlessly, everyone, listen to that. Jane's our guide here. Yes, um, and yeah, that's a day. That's a daily. That's a daily task, right? That's a moment by moment task to really be con- conscious about that. Um, and, and what a journey for you as someone who, um, knows what it's like to have high expectations and follow rules, um, to step out and to dare, um, it takes a lot of courage to step outside the lines and just go for it. And so I, uh, I commend you. Thank you. (laughs) All right. It's time, Jane, it's time for the parent footprint moment question. So here it is. Tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself as an individual and awareness about yourself as a parent, awareness of your parents, and how any of these awarenesses had a positive impact on your life and those you love. Well, I I can say that uh, doing egg freezing and the IVF process, and I actually wound up freezing embryos, which is a whole other story another day. Mm -hmm. But that was an awareness of parent parenting or being a parent or pre-parenting that I didn't expect in that experience because your body goes through and I did it as a older woman. Mm -hmm. And so I had to do so much body care. So, you know, vitamin supplementation and thinking about every little thing that I did and not drinking and, and all of these things. And it, it's, it's such a sacrifice and it made me aware of the sacrifice, even more of, of my parents and my mother, especially, you know, the, a, a woman that you're sacrificing your body, you know, and not just, not just in, in, being pregnant and in pregnancy, but after, and then as a parent, you are, you're sacrificing your body. You're sac- you're just, it's a self-sacrificial process. And I wrote something about that in the book, um, about trying to describe that and, uh, and, and what love is and, and the connection of sacrifice to love. So, so that was something that, that mm-hmm. gave me that insight, uh, a bit and and also gave me an awareness to have a better understanding of, of what I've experienced having been parented, being yeah. parented yeah. Um, and what that is. Thank you and thank and and for for telling the story I we've had close people to us go through the IVF and infer- infertility journey and 
it is a hard one, a stressful one, an expensive one, an yes. unknowing one, an uncertain one. And um, so thank you for sharing this part of yourself and this part of life that so many do experience. My pleasure. My pleasure to do it. Well, everyone, that concludes our show. Um, Jane, where can everyone find this book, your coming next book, and everything else you're doing that you want them to know? Well, thank you. My So Black Girls Must Die Exhausted is everywhere books are sold and borrowed at this point, I do believe. And if you're in your local bookstore and don't see it, then... I'm sure they will be able to order it for you, but um, it's the current uh, Target uh, October uh, Diverse Read Book Club pick, and awesome. it is yes, and and we have amazing um, independent bookstore partners and and libraries have been so supportive. So hopefully you can find it anywhere and everywhere. Uh, I was so excited to see it in the airport. That was like a big moment for me. I was I was going from LAX. Uh, Los Angeles to New York and JFK and I saw it in both airports and I was I was I was just taking That's pictures. Huge. That's I was huge. over the moon. Yeah, I yeah. I know people thought like what is this crazy woman doing? But I was <laughs> I was taking pictures at the store. But um I was so excited. But and I I am uh my website is Jane with a Y, J A Y N E Allen two L's A L L E N dot com. And you can join my newsletter and keep up with whatever random developments are happening. And I'm on Instagram most frequently as Jane Allen writes. So book two is scheduled for February. It's called Black Girls Must Be Magic. And it is the continuation of Tabby's journey along with all of the colorful friends and family and family and colleagues that uh, you've come to meet in, in the first book. Okay, so does that mean we get to have a follow-up conversation about Tabby's journey? I would love that. Okay, I would love awesome. That. I'm excited. I'm excited because you left you left us hanging a little bit. So a I'm little, a, a little. I, I tried to give enough yeah. where nobody would yeah. be mad, but no, I wasn't yet, mad. There's I wasn't still mad. more. There's yeah, still yeah. more. <laughs> there's definitely more. Thanks again, Jane. Thank you for having yeah. me. All right, everyone, that's it. Please share this show with everyone who will benefit. Thank you for being a part of our wonderful community. And if you want more of Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan, check out our bonus episodes once a month exclusively on Stitcher Premium. To listen, just go to stitcherpremium.com slash Dr. Dan, click start free trial, select a monthly plan and sign up with the code Dr. Dan and you'll get a month of free listening. Be that person you want your child to become. And as always, I'll leave you with the guiding question. What footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummerman, composed and performed by Pro Tunes. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. If you are an advertiser interested in advertising on our show, go to midroll.com forward slash ads. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Listen, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.